Let's get ready to study God's Word. Greetings to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and today's devotional study is entitled, Be Careful Who Your Friends Are. Please visit our page, biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find all of our previous podcasts and such resources as the key principles of effective Bible study. You'll also find a list of all of the platforms where our podcasts can be accessed, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Before we get into this study, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer and Bible study. We invite your presence to be with us, and we ask you to help us as we attempt to rightly divide your words of truth by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, our title again is Be Careful Who Your Friends Are, and the verse that's going to be associated with this is Proverbs 13, 20 and 21. And it says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Evil pursueth sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. The person that we're looking at person we're going to focus on for this story is Haman. And he he enters the picture in the Word of God in Esther chapter 3 verse 1. The Bible says, After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass, when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matter would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Now watch this. This is pretty interesting how this comes about. Haman gets promoted. As part of the promotion, the the king decides that Haman will be bowed down to. Um, we're not told why. There's, there's scant info on that. We're not told why. We're not told who instigates it. We're not told um, what its purpose is, ultimately. But we are told that this benefit is given to Haman. Now, Mordecai doesn't do it, and Haman doesn't notice it. That's one of the things when we talk about this story, we never really emphasize. Haman doesn't notice it, because it goes on for a while that Mordecai is not paying any attention, and Haman has no clue. It's not until the rest of the people around him say, they, you know, hey, Haman, did you notice that that guy's not bowing down. And they did it 
they did it because they wanted to know they wanted to see how how long this was going to um how long Mordecai was going to be able to get away with this right it tells us they told Haman verse 4 they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matter would stand for he had told them that he was a Jew now it may not be apparent to anyone why that conversation of the Jew thing comes up there but Mordecai would have told them, I don't bow to people who are not, um, who don't have a legitimate reason to be bowed to, which is you're a king, or, um, or God. I don't worship men. And that's, you know, that would be the only real reasonable context for, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Right? There's no other reason to insert that in there unless it has to do with why he's not reverencing this random person. So Mordecai's thing is, I will respect the king, and um, but this other guy, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to disrespect him, but he's not getting that kind of reverence. Verse 5 says, And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. These poor people, they instigated this situation um, because they wanted to see what was going to happen. And you find that in life a lot, actually. You find that there are people who are doing something that they wish they didn't have to do, but they're kind of okay with it until they find somebody who doesn't have to do it. And then all of a sudden, their response is, well, if I have to do it, he certainly has to do it. And so that's why they bring the matter to Mordecai, I mean, to Haman. Because in all honesty, if you're bowing every time some guy comes out of the court or goes into the court, you aren't killing yourself, right? And I'm not saying this to suggest that reverencing people is something that we ought to be doing at, the, at that level, right? We should give respect to people based on the roles and 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 the situation that that warrants that respect. But just looking at the context of this situation here with with Haman, if I'm a person who decided I was bound to Haman because that's what the king com, king's commandment said, then when I find out the Mordecai is not bound to Haman, it doesn't do anything to me. Right? I'm bowing down to Haman because that's what the king's commandment said. So why would I get annoyed or frustrated or feel like I had to point this out to Haman if Mordecai wasn't doing it? But that's what happens. That's, that's generally a sign of jealousy or frustration. Jealousy in that people are annoyed that you seem to be getting away with something that, that they're not getting away with. Or frustration in that I didn't want to have to do it either, but now I've already done it. And if I have to do it, everybody has to do it. But nonetheless, here's where we are. Now Haman has been brought into the picture. And Haman is not a happy camper anymore because he realizes that somebody's not following this instruction. Now, what was interesting to me as I read this, this is one of my favorite stories, Esther. The book of Esther is one of my favorite books. And... I've always wondered, back and forth, back and forth, I've always wondered, why didn't Haman just complain to the king? If the king had issued this commandment, which is what the Bible says happened, so if the king had issued this commandment, why didn't 
Haman just go and say, Your Majesty, there are there's some people that are not respecting the commandment that you outlined. And I can imagine that he felt awkward having to have the king um, take care of his dignity, as it were. But if in fact it bothered him that much, right? If, if it's if it's something you can't be bothered to go to the king with directly, then it shouldn't bother you at all. And if it's something that bothers you, then you should take it to the king because the king is the one that set it in place. So now Haman is full of wrath and he decides, you know what? Forget this nonsense. I'm not dealing with this. And, and in fact, oh, he's a Jew? Take them all out. So that's where he goes. That's what verse 6 says. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the whole people of Mordecai. So it goes on to say that he cast lots day by day by day by day, um, for each month, you know, because he's got to do his little divination thing and figure out what's the best day to go through and and conduct his little exercise here. And after it, after it points to the twelfth month and the thirteenth day as being the best day for this activity, listen to what Haman says to the king in verse eight. There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have charge of the business to bring it to the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Okay, this is kind of scary. And essentially, the king doesn't dig into this whole issue too much. Haman is his right-hand guy. Whatever Haman did to get promoted is big enough that if Haman suggests it, the king is okay with it, and he goes forward. And Haman comes at it from a slick perspective. He says, this thing is annoying me enough. I will pay to have them destroyed. I will pay. Because obviously, if you kill off a whole bunch of people, that's taxes the king isn't going to get. So the king says, so Haman says, oh, king, you've got a bunch of worthless people on your hand, but you know what? They're worth something to you monetarily. I will pay for that, and I will get rid of them on your behalf. And so the king is a little bit flattered. We really ought to be careful who are the people we hang out with. That was the premise we started with, and we're going to continue with that. When you are the first set of people that we saw that were really the king's servants, right? King's servants. But the first set of people we saw are the king's servants, and they're more interested in seeing how things play out between Haman and Mordecai. Okay? Why? Why should that concern them? They're essentially being petty. They're essentially being petty because they're the king's servants. The king gave a command. If you think that the servant, that Mordecai is not following it, why not go to the king and say something? Right? Do you have a grievance? No, they went to start trouble. They let Haman know, and now Haman is upset. So his high blood pressure increases or his, his blood pressure increases 
and uh, now he's angry and he decides he's going to to kill everyone. So he gets that all set up. Now, if you go through the story, he gets the letter written. He's feeling good, sitting with the king. Shushan is perplexed. Mordecai is going to go and uh, rent his clothes and he's going to be confronted by someone that Esther sends when she finds out what's going on. And he will explain everything to her and tell her she needs to act. She'll say, oh, I can't. He says, well, if you don't, you'll probably perish too. Don't think you'll escape. And then she says, fine, you know what? Let's, um, you guys go and pray and fast. We'll go and pray and fast. And we will, um, and then I will go. And whatever happens, happens. Now, I did say pray and fast. The Bible does not say pray and fast. It only says fast. But we can rest assured that prayer was associated with it. They weren't just fast. They weren't just not eating. Okay? They weren't just not eating. There's a perfectly valid reason that the word God never shows up in this, in this, um, in the book of Esther at all. The word God, it's the only book in the Bible where the word God is never, ever, ever mentioned. We have short books in the Bible that have the name of God, and the entire book of Esther does not. How shall we sing in a strange land? So, in chapter 4, Esther comes around and and decides what she's going to do. In chapter 5, there's a whole banquet prepared. Esther goes in, gets the king to agree to the banquet. By inspiration of God, she does not answer on the first day when when Esther, when Ahasuerus says, what's your request? She says, please come again tomorrow and then I'll give the request, which sets the, the stage for one of the most awesome turnarounds in Bible history. So Haman leaves the banquet. He's ecstatic. Everything is good. But then he saw Mordecai in the king's gate and Mordecai did not stand up or give him reverence. And he was irate, but he refrained himself, it says. And when he came home, he called all his folks together, called for all his friends, Zeresh, his wife, told them the glory of his riches, multitude of his children, all the things that the king had promoted him, how he advanced him, how Esther was had a banquet that only he and the king went to, all of that good stuff. And then he makes this interesting statement in Esther 5.13. Yet all this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting in the king's gate. Now remember, the decree has already gone forth. The decree has gone forth. And it's going to, at the end of the year, at the end of the year, All of these guys are going to be destroyed. But what he's saying here is, I can't stand the sight of this guy. I don't even want to deal with him for the rest of this year. I can't stand it. All of these awesome privileges and accomplishments that I have mean nothing to me as long as this guy is alive. And his friends put forth an idea. Then said Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends unto him, let a gallows be made of 50 cubits high, and tomorrow... Speak thou unto the king, that Mordecai may be hanged thereon, 
Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. Got to be very careful who your friends are, what kind of suggestions they're making. You'd be surprised at how quickly friends turn. Um, we live in interesting times. And not everyone who claims to be your friend is your friend, or not everyone who thinks they're your friend is, is your friend in ways that count or that are essential. Many a person has gone through very difficult times only to find out that at when they most needed a friend is when that friendship uh, basically dissolved, fizzled away. That very night that gallows is built, that very night the king cannot sleep. He has the book of the Chronicles read to him. They get to the part where Mordecai had done something really good for the king. Basically, unf um, unraveled uh, an assassination attempt. But there's no record of Mordecai getting anything. King asks, did he get something? And they say, no, nothing was done for him. Then the king notices that someone is in the court, the outer court. And, and the servant said, Haman stands in the outer court. Who knows how long he had been waiting there. King said, let him come in. So Haman came in. And verse 6 makes me chuckle every single time. And the king said unto him, so as soon as Haman comes, the king does not ask him, what are you here for? What do, what do you want to do? The king asks him a question. What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Haman had spent his time surrounded by people who were what we would call yes-men. They said what he wanted them to say. They promoted whatever ideas he had. They supported whatever agenda he had. They were willing to stay on his good side, be on his good side, pump up his head. They were willing to do all of these things. So his thought process, when the king says what the king said, here's his thought process. Now Haman thought in his heart, to whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? So basically he says, hmm, there's nobody he could be thinking of but me. So you know what? I'm going to ask him for what I want to have happen. And of course, because Haman is sophisticated and and suave and polished. He doesn't say, here's what I'd like you to do for me. He answers the king the way the king asked the question. King said, what shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth honor? And Haman says, here's what should be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Let the royal apparel be brought that the king used to wear. So slightly old kingly apparel. The horse that the king rideth upon, current kingly horse, and the crown royal which is set upon his head, current crown. Now the king knows something that Haman does not know, and the king understands Haman more than Haman realizes, which is why the king phrased it, but we can prove that when we get to the next part. And let the apparel and the horse be delivered to one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man withal whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. 
Verse 10, Then the king said to Haman, Make haste, and take the apparel and the horse as thou hast said, and do so even to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate. Everybody knows that Mordecai is a Jew, apparently. That sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Why would the king have to say that last part? Why would he have to say that? Because he knew that that Haman was not going to feel all that pleased about what was about to happen here. So Haman takes the apparel and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, went through the streets, was totally humiliated, totally humiliated. Mordecai came back again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered, totally humiliated. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, unto him. So now, now listen to all of these friends. Yesterday they were saying, hey, build this thing and hang Mordecai and ask, ask the, the king to be able to let you do this. And they said to him, if Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. Proverbs 13, 20 and 21 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Evil pursueth sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. Be careful who you hang out with. Be careful if the people that you surround yourself with um, help you in your growth as a person, particularly spiritual growth if they encourage you in the direction of right doing, if they're encouraging you in other directions, if they are supporting you in your vain contemplations, if they're just pumping up your head, when things begin to go south, they will swiftly abandon you. They will swiftly abandon you. And along the way, here's the other important point, right? If you look at that verse, evil pursueth sinners. A companion of fools shall be destroyed. When we hang with people who aren't doing good for us, we aren't doing good for ourselves. We are putting ourselves in a position where we will be destroyed. Good will be repaid unto the righteous, but evil pursueth sinners. Haman was in a position that he couldn't lose. He didn't have to compete with anyone. But because he allowed people to talk him into getting angry about a situation that was beneath him for all intents and purposes, he allowed that situation to fester until it put him in a position where he fell. And in trying to kill others, he signed his own death warrant. We need to be careful who our friends are. We ought not to just pick people who will make us feel good about ourselves, but we should pick people who will make us be good, who will help us to be good, who will keep us in the straight and narrow way, who will be willing to confront us when we deviate from the path of righteousness, who will be willing to pray for us and support us, and if for whatever reason we do begin to fall, they will not abandon us. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Evil pursueth sinners, 
but to the righteous good shall be repaid. Proverbs 13, 20 and 21. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy, your goodness, your love, your watch care, and your protection. We thank you for all that you have done for us, all that you're willing to do for us. We ask you to help us to choose our friends wisely. And for those of us who are parents, help us that we will teach our children to choose their friends wisely. Help us that all of our associations will be such as will uplift and help us on our spiritual journey. Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Please feel free to contact us via email at biblequestions at asbzone.com. Whether you have questions, comments, or concerns, we look forward to hearing from you. If you're finding this channel to be a blessing, please take the time to share our page with others and always keep our ministry in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study His Word.